0: The question is, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Because I have left you, runk Puffians out here uh, for a minute to your own devices, haven't I? <laughs> I have... I have left you to your own whims, to your own desires, and I can only imagine what sort of, uh, well, uh, runk ness has ensued. I can only imagine what what sort of uh, Lord of the Flies I am walking back in on here. Right? I know there's a definitely not Memnite. I know that Broloff says, oh dear lord, what is that? Which leads me to believe, perhaps Broloff, maybe you are a bit newer than I anticipated. But uh, I definitely want to say hello to some folks. I know, uh, Broloff, you are not 100% new, even though you're new sort of on a relative scale. But of course we've got um, Plague Deity swinging in to give you a, uh, a an obscure uh, a subscription. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh definitely not Memnite and Memnite 4. Oh great. Okay, so then I, am I to assume that you are also Leonardo Dicatrio, Wingstar, Kitty Frog and Bobby's Burger because I got a bunch of follows over the weekend while I wasn't streaming. Actually, it wasn't even over the weekend. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. So <laughs> I'm curious as to what is going on there uh what was what was everyone up to yesterday that they got all curious about my stream i don't know unless unless that tiktok action is just like carrying me home baby i'm guessing probably not question is what have y'all been doing jade says i got accused of being you today sam in what context would you would you have been accused of being me What happened there, Jade? What are you talking about? Rose says, Dahlia seems to be in search of rum and parrots. Yes, indeed. Yeah, if y'all have been checking over on the Discord. uh, And I do suggest you jump into the Discord. You can follow these links here if you want to do it. But um, the Discord is a fun spot where we have our discussions midweek. It's how I like to keep people totally updated over everything. Um, All the various things that we do here. uh, Discord is the central hub. And uh, (laughs) uh, Dahlia... Well, I hope your new appendage is treating you well today. I hope the day is... I, I hope you've been sort of, uh, you know, practicing your, your transformations, right? Your transformer... Is it more of a transformers thing where you sort of go from uh, a <laughs> an electric car uh, up to um, a... Uh, I don't even know what to call you... Dahlia I don't even know what to call you because you there is so there are so many things that you've sort of like dipped your toes into or been involved in very heavily and so like there there's so there's so much to Dahlia I don't even know what to title you <laughs> but is it more of a transformer thing or is it more of like uh, do you like you eat spicy foods and turn into a pirate Jade says, "I was promoting the show on Twitter, and a guy accused me of self-promoting." I'm like, "Nah, I do it for the bean." I see. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you a lot, Jade. Being acu- being accused of self-promoting. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for going out there and taking the hit. <laughs> and that's honestly, that's the big help because I can I can go shout around about myself on Twitter all day, but who's going to listen to me? Either they already listen to me, or they don't care what this rando says, so that's why I appreciate all of y'all who have been like, hey, you know me, here's this thing that I listen to, here's this, here's this sort of oddball on the internet who, who likes to read books and sometimes play games and uh, shout at Discord, and I guess, boy, all this is pretty standard streaming stuff, isn't it? But have you found anyone else who considers themselves a snorkel streamer because I'm down here underneath all the hot tubs? Have you had any of those, or am I the first? Dahlia says, I do all the things. I'm riffing on my new hands-free crutch. Looks like a peg leg. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, you'll have to go and check in the Discord for the picture that Dahlia put in there of uh, of your new special appendage. <laughs> Dahlia. <laughs> Rose says, I put Sam on my nail slash manicure Insta and people got confused. I see. Well, if there's one thing I'm here for, I'm here to baffle. I'm here to baffle and mystify. Jem says, it's my turn to have the yucky sympathy pains. My head and stomach are... That's how I'm imagining it sounds. Is that about right? Head and stomach are... (sighs) Broloff usually listens on YouTube, so this is a new experience. Welcome, Broloff. Have you been listening to the... um, uh, Have you been listening to Percy Jackson, or are you coming straight from Harry Potter... Into uh, halfway into book two of this new series, are you just like swinging in? Did you did you find that rope? Uh, did you find that that vine somewhere on the uh, somewhere on the link page and say, you know what? I'll swing on that. <laughs> I'll throw myself bodily against this particular uh, th- <laughs> this little Cirque du Soleil act. Off I go, off to Twitch. Yee-hee! <laughs> I do appreciate the people who make that leap. Everyone who's come over from uh, from from YouTube—it's glorious to have you here, uh, Broloff, being the the—it uh, sounds like the more outspoken today among them. But I'm glad you're here, all of you. I love Percy Jackson. Excellent. I am glad to hear it. Well, in that case, I hope you're prepared for more of this. Yes. because if you, if you thought that was the uh, the only time you were gonna hear that is in the pre-show, you were wrong. You were wrong. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Tenacia with the nine months of Prime subscription. Tenacia, yeah, you've been with us for a minute. It doesn't even feel like it's been that long. I've already said it so many times though, I'm not gonna delve into it too much. It just doesn't feel like it's been nine months since I've been here on Twitch, so that's wild. <laughs> Gems, who done you wrong? You're under a house running cables, Broloff. Okay, fantastic. Well, <laughs> good luck to you. Stay safe and everything. Stay safe and all that. Uh, Sparkle of Good, I am feeling substantially better, unless you were referring to gems, which you probably should be at this point, because, yes, I'm feeling a lot better. So, yeah, everyone, whatever positive energies you were going to send my way tonight, you can just redirect those straight toward gems, because today I'm feeling right back on top. Honestly, I I was... um. Uh, I was pretty much feeling back on top as of yesterday, like, evening, afternoon evening. I took a bit of a walk, even though I really didn't feel like it. Um, But it seemed like the sort of thing where, you know, uh, just sort of going on the walk, getting myself up and out, that is kind of what got me feeling a bit better. Uh, But yeah, I have my second dose of the vaccination, which means I am officially back in it, baby! Baby! I have a two month uh excuse me a two week wait uh, until I'm technically considered like totally in the clear um but I'm looking forward to being back in person for um for like Saturday night games as has been uh our tradition for a while but you know we've been doing it online for a bit It's just not the same over roll twenty you know what I mean maybe you don't i I think a lot of you don't I was really surprised um so two two parts of this. A, I was really surprised that my sort of um very story-centric um uh, very collaborative audience didn't have quite as much overlap with um uh, someone like Critical Role. I was a little surprised at that, but part two of this is I'm very excited that y'all have been uh <laughs> y'all have been excited about our uh our new campaign goof them up I guess uh, the side cannons minis so I finally picked a name y'all y'all watched me do it here on stream uh, I really liked that side cannons and I can already I've already got like an intro sequence sort of mapped out in my head um, uh, with like a, a logo coming on and then a bunch of uh, sort of side cannon <laughs> like broadside cannons sort of like wheeling out of of the letters as if they're portholes and then all firing <laughs> um That's my idea. So that's going to be the intro sequence. Y'all can expect that popping up on some videos once I figure out how to create that. But, uh, Side Cannons. Side Cannons is going to be my, um, uh, that's the new overarching name for all the RPG stuff. So, Chat Plays Dungeon World, which is not dead, it's just resting. I want to warn you all about that. Uh, uh, Chat Plays Dungeon World, uh, the various one-shots we might do, the after, which has been... um, uh, a lot of fun recently, and then, of course, side cannons Minis, and Sidecannons Minis are the little shorts that I've been putting up on YouTube. If you want to find them, uh, they are down toward the very bottom of this set of playlists. Um, ah, there we go. I've got a new command in there that will take you to a page that is just all of my playlists. They're well-organized. They're, uh, uh, they're well-organized, AKA, not YouTube's system. So, for anyone who's wondering about that, where to find them, how to participate, how to participate, because you can. That's right. Uh, basically, I am running a campaign for a little character, and y'all are going to decide where it goes by commenting. Uh, best comment decides what the, char- what the adventurer does next, and then we're just going to keep rolling with it. Those are a lot of fun, so get over there. Get over there and do it, all right? jump in there. Dahlia says, I don't know, I really like Roll20, but only in conjunction with D&D Beyond and the extension that makes them compatible. I was okay with Roll20, um, but there's just so much about the experience of of RPGs for me that I... that can only really be in person. And it's, it's really tough. It's really tough um, on the, like, on the social front. Having all my friends in tiny boxes makes me feel... Uh, like I'm I'm losing something, whether it's it or them, I don't know, but I'm either losing it or losing them, something's going on. My marbles? Hey, my marbles! Rollet says, I totally missed last week without meaning to. So happy to be back this week. Hey everyone! And Rollet, hello to you as well. How do you do? Good to have you here. Um, uh, Memnite says, nightstands, get it? It's a bedside table. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> uh, this is—I'm trying to decide if things are going to be better or almost definitely worse with 18 Memnites in here, just having like <laughs> having some sort of networked conversation. How many devices are you on right now, Memnite? Or do you just have them all loaded up to uh <laughs> to have your like your 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 uh, passwords and info ready to go, so you can switch out on the same device really quickly? Do you have, like, did you buy additional phones just to make this happen? Just to make this chaos fever dream? I should have known. I should have known. I'm going to says, hello, everyone. Excited to be here. Excuse me. Excited to be here. How do you say the long. Hold on. How do you say the silent E at the end of, of words like that? How would you say H E R E right here, but H E R E E E E E E E E E? Excited to be here. It's a special day when I get to listen to a chapter live. I'm kind of a lurker, but I enjoy listening to you, Sam, and reading everyone's comments. As do I, Alina. Sometimes I myself feel like a lurker because I'm not I'm not typing anything. <laughs> oh, Alina says, Don't ask me, I'm a Spanish speaker. <laughs> do y'all not delve into that as much? Let's see. I'm trying to think of any Spanish words, because of any language other than English, Spanish is the one I am most familiar with. I certainly won't say I'm like a, a an easy breezy conversationalist, but I can keep up okay. We're all new people, we promise, says Memnite. Dolly says he's got multiple browser tabs open. I guess that does make the most sense, doesn't it? Broloff says, um, say here, like, uh, you're a woman calling over an old friend, and high pitch on the E.
1: I'm here.
0: I don't know where we're headed with this, but it doesn't seem like it's to great places. <laughs> Memnite says, uh, blame Frizz, she's the one who silenced me in Tuna's chat. Ah, yes, indeed. Okay, there we go. Now I understand. Now I get it. It all becomes clear. Uh, by the way, y'all, uh, if you are not yet in the Discord, and you are a fan of the, uh, of the Harry Potters, as it were. Oh, man. Oh, I got really old really quick there for a second. (sighs) Uh, I think I aged about... 20 years, just with that word. If y'all are into Harry Potter, as so many of us are, uh, I would encourage you, I think, I think you can still get in on uh, Gems' game over in the Harry Potter chat. Oh boy. Did I crash? Yeah, stream is disconnected. Yo! Super exciting. All right, well. How about now? Hold on, are we back? Are we back? Eh?
1: Huh. Hmm.
0: All right. Are we back now? Okay, so that was extra weird. Um, I don't think I've ever had that happen before. My stream crashed, but just the stream. It's almost always a matter of, um, the entire, the entire, like, I'll just lose internet connection. I've had that happen before, but this is the first time I've had it just, like, my whole, my, my, my stream dropped, but only the stream. Alright, we're back. Refresh if it's not working for you yet Interesting Interesting somebody's dialing in on how to crash my stream, but I don't give a dang With that in mind everyone just so no one's missing any of that mm, juicy conversation. We were having before um Head over, to the, head over to the Harry Potter discussion chat over in the Discord because Gems is running a fun game over there and I believe there's still just enough time to get in on it. You'll have to check on that, but head on over there. It's going to be fun. I think the, the sort of window closes on that tonight. I'm going to get over there and give my answers after the stream is over. That's the plan. So, y'all, are you ready? Time for some review. What happened? What happened in our last chapter, and it feels so weird because I have not spoken to y'all since we actually read these chapters. Um, no stream on Tuesday, no stream on Wednesday because I was recovering. But uh, y'all, now that we're back in it, chapters eleven and twelve. Clarice blows up everything, and we check into CC's spa and resort. Chapter eleven. Clarice blows up everything. We're heading into a squall, right? Uh, just a just a bit of a storm. Uh, They're headed to the Sea of Monsters, and there's only the one way into the Sea of Monsters. It doesn't matter where the sea is at that particular time, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. Regardless, they are going to have to pass between the sort of gates into the Sea of Monsters. It is Scylla and Charybdis. Scylla, the reptilian creature that lives up on these cliffs that, like I said, they move around no matter what angle you're trying to approach the Sea of Monsters from. Charybdis. The whirlpool and storm. Got to pass between these. They are like the they're like um, the winged boars at the gates of Hogwarts. But here, they have got some protection. Clarice, for one thing, <laughs> I mean she's a force under her, her under her own right. Uh, but we've also got um, the rest of Clarice's crew here. Uh, although no other half-bloods from Camp Half Blood seemed to come with her for her quest uh she was able to get sort of a i guess a loan from her dad for this process her dad of course being Ares, and the loan being an ironclad ship which is like a it's like a submarine but it never goes underwater it's just really heavy and it sits really low in the water but it is an armored ship and then a bunch of undead soldiers to crew it for her um They're heading toward the Sea of Monsters, and Clarice's plan is just to sort of gun it at Charybdis. Um, Can't quite get up to Scylla with the cannons, but you can aim down at this big gaping mouth um, in the ocean, and she's hoping to just blast right on through. It doesn't quite go that way, does it? The end of the chapter brings us a pretty rough round, as Tyson, who has gone down below to try and fix the engine, he manages to do so, but... In the process he is the only one still down below when the ironclad explodes. Percy doesn't know what happened to him and he wakes up on a boat, a little rowboat, one of these sort of like, um, uh, well, what, are they, what are they called? I, and I always get this wrong, I always have to ask this. Um, not escape pods, that's a spaceship, Sam. Not the same thing. Anyway, on one of these little rowboats, uh, Clarice was on a different one somewhere, but Tyson's nowhere to be seen. Lifeboats. That's probably it, Memnite. Then we're into Chapter 12. We check into CC's Spa and Resort. They end up somehow at this amazing beach spa. Looks pretty good. They get on shore, and even though they claim to be wary of traps, because all the traps they've encountered so far have seemed pretty good at first, they're pretty tired. They need some kind of rest they end up at this resort and they are greeted by a very chipper woman and uh, this woman brings her to uh, a, a beautiful woman who is currently working on a, uh, on a loom which is something that's used to create fabric you, you start with string essentially and create fabric out of it um, and what they find here is uh, that they're going to get makeovers they're gonna get a full workup and this chipper woman leads Annabeth away because apparently Percy needs uh, the sort of uh, this this resort leader's full attention. She spends some time talking to Percy about what he would like to be, how he would like to be, what he would like to become, and offers to sort of show Percy his true self. He looks in this clearly enchanted mirror and sees someone stronger, less uh, less derpy looking. If we if we are to underst if we are to sort of read straight into some of the words that he uses to describe how he looks. Uh somebody in like cooler clothes and everything. Then she has him drink a milkshake that's gonna help him get there to that to that vision of himself. And that's when he turns into a guinea pig. Cece is none other than Circe. She is a sorceress, and when Annabeth comes back finding Percy gone apparently just sort of like getting the treatment somewhere else Circe claims Circe this sorceress who I will remind you this is someone who showed up back in the Odyssey so someone who's pretty well known in the uh, in the mythical world um, Annabeth she she looks very different and uh, Percy notices that immediately from his little hamster cage off to one side surrounded by other sort of Uh, rough and tough looking hamsters, if that can be a thing. Um, The sorceress tries to tempt Annabeth with something different. With power. With a... uh, With an offer that she could learn to be something greater. Something more powerful than she is. That is a sorceress. Um, And over time, as as Cersei continues to try and convince Annabeth to change. Annabeth realizes what's going on. This is not Cece, the resort owner. This is Cersei, the sorceress of legend. uh, Someone that Annabeth seems to be fairly familiar with. And just gets enough time to spill some of the multivitamins given to Percy by Hermes. Spills some of these multivitamins into the guinea pig cage. Percy eats one. It manages to slough off the sorceress's power. Turns out these multivitamins are indeed good for something. Um, not only that, but it does the same to the other guinea pigs, who turn out to be the pirates uh, of, um, uh, of I believe, Blackbeard fame? Yes, indeed. Blackbeard fame. Blackbeard and his pirates have been turned into guinea pigs. They run amok, and while they are distracting Cersei elsewhere on the island, Percy and Annabeth make their escape by stealing the Queen Anne's revenge, which is indeed Blackbeard's ship. That's where we're at. That is where we're at, and I hope you will enjoy this next uh, three chapters. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. And again, I don't see the need to compare Ginny and Annabeth. I don't see the need to compare the two. Once again, the the only thing that would sort of key them as uh points of comparison here because you know, Ginny is not an adventurer. Um uh, uh Annabeth is not an athlete. Like the only the only reason we would compare them is as romantic interests of the protagonist. And Unless we were to compare them as like which one was a better uh, significant other to one character, like which one was specific, uh, a, a specific, um, or which one was a better SO to like Harry or a better SO to Percy, that is a, a sense in which we can compare them. But right now they're two different people, and the only point at which we are comparing them is as significant others. And so we're not, we're not like, identifying them based on their own merit but just as a comparison because they are romantic interests of a couple of dudes <laughs> I I th- I think you are correct Memnite that Ginny is, she is great but there's no sense in comparing the two unless we were to compare them in a different venue which I don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of endeavors of theirs that are similar. They're not trying to be the same thing. And so it always comes back to, well, we're comparing them because one of them is with Harry and one of them is with Percy. Eh. No sense in it. Okay, now. Let's get into our chapters. Chapter 13. Annabeth tries to swim home. I'd finally found something I was really good at. The Queen Anne's revenge responded to my every command. I knew which ropes to hoist, which sails to raise, which direction to steer. We plowed through the waves at what I figured was about 10 knots. I even understood how fast that was. For a sailing ship, pretty darn fast. It all felt perfect. The wind in my face, the waves breaking over the prow, But now that we were out of danger, all I could think about was how much I missed Tyson and how I was worried about Grover. I couldn't get over how badly I'd messed up on Cersei's island. If it hadn't been for Annabeth, I'd still be a rodent, hiding in a hut with a bunch of cute, furry pirates. I wondered about what Cersei had said. See, Percy, you've unlocked your true self. I still felt changed. Not because I had a sudden desire to eat lettuce. I felt jumpy. Like the instinct to be a scared little animal was now a part of me. Maybe it had always been there. That's what really worried me. We sailed through the night. Annabeth tried to help me keep lookout, but sailing didn't agree with her. After a few hours rocking back and forth, her face turned the color of guacamole, and she went below to lie in a hammock. I watched the horizon. More than once, I spotted monsters. A plume of water as tall as a skyscraper spewed into the moonlight. A row of green spines slithered across the waves, something maybe a hundred feet long. Reptilian. I didn't really want to know. Once I saw Nereids, the glowing lady spirits of the sea. I tried to wave at them, but they disappeared into the depths, leaving me unsure whether they'd seen me or not. Sometime after midnight, Annabeth came up on deck. We were just passing a smoking volcano island. The sea bubbled and steamed around the shore. One of the forges of Hephaestus, Annabeth said, where he makes his metal monsters. Like the bronze bulls? She nodded go around, far around. I didn't need to be told twice. We steered clear of the island and soon it was just a red patch of haze behind us. I looked at Annabeth. So, the reason why you hate Cyclopes so much, the story about how Talia really died, what happened? It was hard to see her expression in the dark. "'I guess you deserve to know,' she said finally. "'The night Grover was escorting us to camp, he got confused. "'Took some wrong turns. "'You remember he told you that once?' "'I nodded. "'Well, the worst wrong turn was into a cyclops' lair in Brooklyn.' "'They've got cyclopses in Brooklyn?' I asked. "'You wouldn't believe how many, but that's not the point. "'This cyclops... He tricked us. He managed to split us up inside this maze of corridors in an old house in Flatbush. And he could sound like anyone, Percy, just the way Tyson did aboard the Princess Andromeda. He lured us one at a time. Talia thought she was running to save Luke. Luke thought he heard me scream for help, and me. I was alone in the dark. I was seven years old, I couldn't even find the exit. She brushed the hair out of her face. I remember finding the main room. There were bones all over the floor. And there were Talia and Luke and Grover, tied up and gagged, hanging from the ceiling like smoked hams. The Cyclops was starting a fire in the middle of the floor. I drew my knife, but he heard me. He turned and smiled. He spoke, and somehow he knew my dad's voice. I guess he just plucked it out of my mind. He said, No, Annabeth, don't you worry. I love you. You can stay here with me. You can stay forever. I shivered. The way she told it, even now, six years later, freaked me out worse than any ghost story I'd ever heard. What did you do? I stabbed him in the foot. I stared at her. Are you kidding? You were seven years old and you stabbed a grown cyclops in the foot. Oh, he would have killed me. But I surprised him. It gave me just enough time to run to Talia and cut the ropes on her hands. She took it from there. Yeah, but still, that was pretty brave, Annabeth. She shook her head. We barely got out alive. I still have nightmares, Percy. The way that Cyclops talked in my father's voice. It was his fault we were so long getting to camp. All the monsters who had chased us had time to catch up. That's why Talia died. If it hadn't been for that Cyclops, she'd still be here today. We sat on the deck watching the Hercules constellation rise in the night sky. Go down below, Annabeth told me at last. You need some rest. I nodded. My eyes were heavy. But when I got below and found a hammock, it took me a long time to fall asleep. I kept thinking about Annabeth's story. I wondered, if I were her, would I have had enough courage to go on this quest, to sail straight toward the lair of another cyclops? I didn't dream about Grover. Instead, I found myself in Luke's stateroom, aboard the Princess Andromeda. The curtains were open. It was nighttime outside. The air swirled with shadows. Voices whispered all around me. Spirits of the dead. Beware. They whispered. Trickery. 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 Kronos' golden sarcophagus glowed faintly, the only source of light in the room. A cold laugh startled me. It seemed to come from miles below the ship. You don't have the courage, young one. You can't stop me. I knew what I had to do. I had to open that coffin. I uncapped Riptide. Ghosts whirled around me like a tornado. Beware. My heart pounded. I couldn't make my feet move, but I had to stop Kronos. I had to destroy whatever was in that box. And then a girl spoke right next to me. Well, seaweed Brian. I looked over, expecting to see Annabeth, but the girl wasn't Annabeth. She wore punk-style clothes with silver chains on her wrists. She had spiky black hair. Dark eyeliner around her stormy blue eyes and a spray of freckles across her nose. She looked familiar, but I wasn't sure why. "'Well?' she asked. "'Are we going to stop him or not?' I couldn't answer. I couldn't move. The girl rolled her eyes. "'All right, fine. Leave it to me and ages.' She tapped her wrist, and the silver chains transformed, flattening and expanding into a huge shield. It was silver and bronze, with the monstrous face of Medusa protruding from the center. It looked like a death mask, as if the gorgon's real head had been pressed into the metal. I didn't know if that was true or if the shield could really petrify me, but I looked away. Just being near it made me cold with fear. I got the feeling that in a real fight, the bearer of that shield would be almost impossible to beat. Any sane enemy would turn and run. The girl drew her sword and advanced on the sarcophagus. The shadowy ghosts parted for her, scattering before the terrible aura of her shield. No, I tried to warn her, but she didn't listen. She marched straight up to the sarcophagus and pushed aside the golden lid. For a moment, she stood there, gazing down at whatever was in the box. The coffin began to glow. No. The girl's voice trembled. It can't be. From the depths of the ocean, Kronos laughed so loudly the whole ship trembled. screamed as the sarcophagus engulfed her in a blast of golden light. Ah! I sat up, bolt upright in my hammock. Annabeth was shaking me. Percy, you are having a nightmare. You need to get up. Oh, what? What? What is it? I rubbed my eyes. What's wrong? Land, she said grimly. We're approaching the Island of the Sirens. I could barely make out the island ahead of us. Just a dark spot in the mist." "'I want you to do me a favor,' Annabeth said. "'The sirens will be in range of their singing soon.'" I remembered stories about the sirens. They sang so sweetly their voices enchanted sailors and lured them to their death. "'No problem,' I assured her. We can just stop up our ears. There's a big tub of candle wax below the deck somewhere. I want to hear them. I blinked. Why? They say the sirens sing the truth about what you desire. They tell you things about yourself you didn't even realize. That's what's so enchanting. If you survive, you become wiser. I want to hear them. How often will I get that chance? Coming from most people, this would have made no sense. But Annabeth being who she was, well, if she could struggle through ancient Greek architecture books and enjoy documentaries on the History Channel, I guessed sirens would appeal to her too. She told me her plan. Reluctantly, I helped her to get ready. As soon as the rocky coastline of the island came into view... I ordered one of the ropes to wrap around Annabeth's waist, tying her to the foremast. "'Don't untie me,' she said. "'No matter what happens, or how much I plead, I'll want to go straight over the edge and drown myself.' "'Are you trying to tempt me?' "'Ha, ha.' I promised I'd keep her secure. Then I took two large wads of candle wax, kneaded them into earplugs, and stuffed my ears. Annabeth nodded sarcastically, letting me know that the earplugs were a real fashion statement. I made a face at her and turned the pilot's wheel. The silence was eerie. I couldn't hear anything but the rush of blood in my head. As we approached the island, jagged rocks loomed out of the fog. I willed the Queen Anne's revenge to skirt around them. If we sailed any closer, those rocks would shred our hull like blender plates. I glanced back. At first, Annabeth seemed totally normal. Then she got a puzzled look on her face. Her eyes widened. She strained against the ropes. She called my name. I could tell just from reading her lips. Her expression was clear. She had to get out. This was life or death. I had to let her out of the ropes right now. She seemed so miserable, it was hard not to cut her free. I forced myself to look away. I urged the Queen Anne's revenge to go faster. I still couldn't see much of the island, just mist and rocks, but floating in the water were pieces of wood and fiberglass. The wreckage of old ships, even some flotation cushions from airplanes. How could music cause so many lives to veer off course? I mean, sure, there were some top 40 songs that made me want to take a fiery nosedive, but still, what could the sirens possibly sing about? For one dangerous moment, I understood Annabeth's curiosity. I was tempted to take out the earplugs just to get a taste of the song. I could feel the sirens' voices vibrating the timbers of the ship, pulsing along with the roar of blood in my ears. Annabeth was pleading with me. Tears streamed down her cheeks. She strained against the ropes as if they were holding her back from everything she cared about. "'How could you be so cruel?' she seemed to be asking me. I thought you were my friend. I glared at the misty island. I wanted to uncap my sword, but there was nothing to fight. How do you fight a song? I tried hard not to look at Annabeth. I managed it for about five minutes. That was my big mistake. When I couldn't stand it any longer, I looked back and found a heap of cut ropes an empty mast. Annabeth's bronze knife lay on the deck. Somehow, she'd managed to wriggle it into her hand. I'd totally forgotten to disarm her. I rushed to the side of the boat and saw her, paddling madly for the island, the waves carrying her straight toward the jagged rocks. I screamed her name, but if she heard me, it didn't do any good. She was entranced, swimming toward her death. I looked back toward the pilot's wheel and yelled, Stay! Then I jumped over the side. I sliced into the water and willed the currents to bend around me, making a jet stream that shot me forward. I came to the surface and spotted Annabeth, but a wave caught her, sweeping her between two razor-sharp fangs of rock. I had no choice. I plunged after her. I dove under the wrecked hull of a yacht, wove through a collection of floating metal balls on chains that I realized afterward were mines. I had to use all of my power over water to avoid getting smashed against the rocks or tangled in the nets of barbed wire strung just below the surface. I jetted between two rock fangs and found myself in a half-moon-shaped bay. The water was choked with more rocks and the shipwreckage and floating mines. The beach was black volcanic sand. I looked around desperately for Annabeth. There she was. Luckily or unluckily, she was a strong swimmer. She'd made it past the mines and the rocks. She was almost to the black beach. Then the mist cleared, and I saw them. The sirens. Imagine a flock of vultures the size of people. "'with dirty black plumage, gray talons, and wrinkled pink necks. "'Now imagine human heads on top of those necks, "'but the human heads keep changing. "'I couldn't hear them, but I could see they were singing. "'As their mouths moved, their faces morphed into people. "'I knew my mom... Poseidon, Grover, Tyson, Chiron, all the people I most wanted to see. They smiled reassuringly, inviting me forward, but no matter what shape they took, their mouths were greasy and caked with the remnants of old meals. Like vultures, they'd been eating with their faces, and it didn't look like they'd been feasting on monster donuts. Annabeth swam toward them. I knew I couldn't let her get out of the water. The sea was my only advantage. It had always protected me one way or another. I propelled myself forward and grabbed her ankle. The moment I touched her, a shock went through my body, and I saw the sirens the way that Annabeth must be seeing them. Three people sat on a picnic blanket in Central Park. A feast was spread out before them. I recognized Annabeth's dad from photos she'd shown me. An athletic-looking, sandy-haired guy in his forties, he was holding hands with a beautiful woman who looked a lot like Annabeth. She was dressed casually, blue jeans and a denim shirt and hiking boots. But something about the woman radiated power. I knew that I was looking at the goddess Athena. Next to them sat a young man, Luke. Luke. The whole scene glowed in warm, buttery light. The three of them were talking and laughing, and when they saw Annabeth, their faces lit up with delight. Annabeth's mom and dad held out their arms invitingly. Luke grinned and gestured for Annabeth to sit next to them, as if he'd never betrayed her, as if he were still her friend. Behind the trees of Central Park, a city skyline rose, I caught my breath because it was Manhattan, but not Manhattan. It had been totally rebuilt from dazzling white marble, bigger and grander than ever, with golden windows and rooftop gardens. It was better than New York. Better than Mount Olympus. I knew immediately that Annabeth had designed it all. She was the architect for a whole new world. She had reunited her parents. She had saved Luke. She had done everything she had ever wanted. I blinked hard. When I opened my eyes, all I saw were the sirens, ragged vultures with human faces ready to feed on another victim. I pulled Annabeth back into the surf. I couldn't hear her, but I could tell she was screaming. She kicked me in the face, but I held on. I willed the currents to carry us out into the bay. Annabeth pummeled and kicked me, making it hard to concentrate. She thrashed so much we almost collided with a floating mine. I didn't know what to do. I could never get back to the ship alive if she kept fighting. We went under, and Annabeth stopped struggling. Her expression became confused. Then our heads broke the surface, and she started to fight again. The water. The sound didn't travel well through water. If I could submerge her long enough, I could break the spell of the music. Of course, Annabeth wouldn't be able to breathe, but at the moment, that seemed like a minor problem. I grabbed her around the waist and ordered the waves to push us down. We shot into the depths. Ten feet. Twenty feet. I knew I had to be careful because I could withstand a lot more pressure than Annabeth. She fought and struggled for breath as bubbles rose around us. Bubbles. I was desperate. I had to keep Annabeth alive. I imagined all the bubbles in the sea, always churning, rising. I imagined them coming together, being pulled toward me. The sea obeyed. There was a flurry of white, a tickling sensation all around me, and when my vision cleared, Annabeth and I had a huge bubble of air around us. Only our legs stuck into the water. She gasped and coughed. Her whole body shuddered, but when she looked at me, I knew the spell had been broken. She started to sob. I mean, horrible, heartbroken sobbing. She put her head on my shoulder, and I held her. Fish gathered to look at us. A school of barracudas, some curious marlins. Scram, I told them. They swam off, but I could tell they went reluctantly. I swear I understood their intentions. They were about to send rumors flying around the sea about the son of Poseidon and some girl at the bottom of Siren Bay. I'll get us back to the ship, I told her. It's okay. Just hang on. Annabeth nodded to let me know she was better now. Then she murmured something I couldn't hear because of the wax in my ears. I made the current steer our weird little air submarine through the rocks and barbed wire back toward the hull of the Queen Anne's Revenge, which was maintaining a slow and steady course away from the island. We stayed underwater, following the ship, until I judged that we had moved out of earshot of the sirens. Then I surfaced, and our air bubble popped. I ordered a rope ladder to drop over the side of the ship, and we climbed aboard. I kept my earplugs in, just to be sure. We sailed until the island was completely out of sight. Annabeth sat huddled in a blanket on the forward deck. Finally, she looked up, dazed and sad and mouthed, Safe. I took out the earplugs. No singing. The afternoon was quiet except for the sound of waves against the hull. The fog had burned away to a blue sky, if the island of the Sirens had never existed. Are you okay? I asked. The moment I said it, I realized how lame that sounded. Of course she wasn't okay. I didn't realize, she murmured. What? Her eyes were the same color as the mist over Sirens' island.
1: How powerful
0: the temptation would be. I didn't want to admit that I'd seen what the sirens had promised her. I felt like a trespasser, but I figured I owed it to Annabeth. "'I saw the way that you rebuilt Manhattan,' I told her. "'And Luke? Your parents?' She blushed. "'You saw that?' "'What Luke told you back in the Princess Andromeda about starting the world over from scratch?' "'That really got to you, huh?' "'She pulled her blanket around her. Uh, "'My fatal flaw. "'That's what the sirens showed me. "'My fatal flaw is hubris.' "'I blinked. "'What, that brown stuff that they spread on veggie sandwiches?' "'She rolled her eyes. "'No seaweed brain, that's hummus. "'Hubris is worse.' "'What could be worse than hummus?' Hubris means deadly pride, Percy, thinking you can do things better than anyone else, even the gods. You feel that way? She looked down. Don't you ever feel like, what if the world really is messed up? What if we could do it all over again from scratch? No more war, nobody homeless, no more summer reading homework. Okay, I'm listening. I mean, the West represents some of the best things mankind ever did. That's why the fire is still burning. That's why Olympus is still around. But sometimes you see the bad stuff, you know? And you start thinking the way that Luke does. If I could tear all this down, I would do it better. Don't you ever feel that way? Like you could do a better job if you ran the world? Uh, no. Me running the world would kind of be a nightmare. Then you're lucky. Hubris isn't your fatal flaw. Okay, well, what is? I don't know, Percy, but every hero has one. If you don't find it and learn to control it, well, they don't call it fatal for nothing. I thought about it. It didn't exactly cheer me up. I also noticed that Annabeth hadn't said much about the personal things she would change, like getting her parents back together or saving Luke. I understood. I didn't want to admit how many times I'd dreamed of getting my own parents back together. I pictured my mom alone in our little apartment in the Upper East Side. I tried to remember the smell of waffles in the kitchen. It seemed so far away. So, was it worth it? I asked Annabeth. You feel wiser? She gazed into the distance. I'm not sure. But we have to save the camp. If we don't stop Luke... She didn't need to finish. If Luke's way of thinking could... Tempt even Annabeth, there was no telling how many other half bloods might join him. I thought about my dream of the girl in the golden sarcophagus. I wasn't sure what it meant, but I got the feeling I was missing something. Something terrible that Kronos was planning. What had the girl seen when she opened that coffin lid? Suddenly, Annabeth's eyes widened. Percy? I turned. Up ahead was another blotch of land, a saddle-shaped island with forested hills and white beaches and green meadows, just like I'd seen in my dreams. My nautical senses confirmed it, 31 degrees, 31 minutes north, 75 degrees, 12 minutes west. We had reached the home of the Cyclops. Hmm, there we are folks The end of our first chapter The first of Three chapters in fact Tonight, uh, some of y'all may be happy to know We are going for big three tonight We've got a couple of short ones And one like average length one And so I figured, you know what Let's just go for it We're shooting the moon What that does mean is that I'm going to take a slightly quicker break here than usual Um, uh, I'm still going to take my five minutes Uh, but I am going to... I think I'm just going to roll right into that, and then we're going to come back. We'll talk for a little bit about the Break question, and then we're going to hit our next chapter pretty quickly. Um, Jem says, I was just thinking, what is everyone's fatal flaw? And I like that one, although I don't think it's my... I I don't think it's my place as, like, a Break question to ask. I do like that question quite a bit. Uh, Rose is saying, Sander asked a great question for the break. Yeah, I try to keep it, like... I try to keep it, um, like... (laughs) <laughs> book focused um let's see what does Sander have what could be Percy's fatal flaw uh, that's a great question absolutely you're 100 percent right and obviously this is not to this is not to ding gem's question I think that's a great one as a matter of fact a, a super good one for over in the discord as well uh like later on in the week but um uh, y'all know what I'm trying to do. Y'all know I'm trying to get my get my grubby hands on you and and drag you into the world of like literary analysis and, and what does that mean for us? And what could it mean for us? So I'm gonna get you. Sander, I think that's an excellent question because it, it has to do with our protagonist. What could be Percy's fatal flaw? Sander, thank you very much for the chatterbreak question. And uh for Rose, thank you very much for uh, signal boosting that. I appreciate it. Y'all I will see you back here in just five minutes. While we are gone, go ahead and attack that Chatterbrite question. What do we think Percy's fatal flaw is? And, uh, I mean, while we're at it, we can we can attach that to some of the other characters as well. But let's start with Percy. I want to see what everyone thinks about Percy. Y'all, I'll see you in five minutes. Bye-bye. Hello everyone and welcome back. My voice is sounding particularly audiobook-y today, is it not? I do hope you'll agree that my voice is sounding particularly audiobookish today. Thank you for joining me for Sidecar Stories. For real though, thank you all for being here. My name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and of course today is Thursday. Now, typically I would say this is as opposed to the other days of the week, but I didn't stream much this week, y'all, did I? Indeed not. Uh, I went ahead and streamed just the once, and that's uh, this one right here. So, welcome back to Flying Sidecar. This is, of course, a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love, and we have got a Chatterbreak question on the table. This is something that we like to do in between chapters, sometimes mid-chapter if we've got the time for it, sometimes. Right now, our Chatterbreak question is... What is Percy Jackson's Fatal Flaw? This is something that comes up not just in ancient Greek literature and mythology, um, although it is sort of rooted there, and I think the conversation will often return there. uh, When we talk about heroes, oftentimes this sort of format of literature, this sort of uh, whether it delves into myth or not, whether it um, is, you know, pretty realistic or not, when you get into the idea of a hero... This is a specific kind of lead character, specific kind of main character, specific kind of protagonist. Not every protagonist is a hero. Oftentimes, we will use that as kind of a catch-all, but hero is a, a term for a very specific type of protagonist, and they are ones who are designed to designed to sometimes. Um, Narratively, they are destined to, um, I would say frequently they're destined to, but sometimes they're just sort of uh, relied upon to, there's expectation upon them to save somebody, whether it's a lot of people, or just some people, or just a specific group of people, that can be a little different depending on the story, but this idea of a hero, they're going to be relied upon to save people, and oftentimes they are dealing with a flaw. Now, this is fatal flaw this this is a term that comes up pretty frequently in this type of literature again whether or not it's fantastical sometimes you've got a hero story that is totally grounded there's no fantasy elements no no um, you know like uh, sci-fi elements it is straightforward i'm trying to think of a good example um of like of of totally non-fantasy hero literature um but the the big thing that this hero deals with is oftentimes they are pretty good people. You would look at them and and their actions, and the a lot of times because we have a window into their thoughts, we would look at their thoughts as well and consider that person a good person, but they have some fatal flaw. I think one of the big things that has changed is that back in the day, the fatal flaw was the thing that caused them to go from successful to unsuccessful and they have to overcome that in order to be that successful person. Sometimes and I think more often nowadays it is more of a fatal flaw that that prevents them from self-actualizing, from being the best version of themselves. Regardless, when we deal with this type of protagonist, with the hero, with someone who is supposed to be who is who is destined, whether it is narratively destined or just destined by virtue of being the hero of our story, destined to do something great. And we find that they're pretty capable of this thing overall, but there's some big piece missing. And so when we talk about fatal flaws, oftentimes we can connect this back with the idea of a hero protagonist, that particular type of protagonist. Oftentimes they've got few flaws, but the one big one gets to him over and over and over again, and much of the arc of a hero protagonist often deals with trying to overcome that one big flaw in themselves. There's my little spiel on it. Let's see what y'all have had to say on it. Van saves lives, and once again, I'll remind you of the question, because I pontificated for a moment there. What is Percy Jackson's fatal flaw? Van says, maybe it has to do with the lengths he'll go to protect his mom. It may have worked out in the long run, but he made a bunch of bad decisions trying to save her in the first book. Interesting. So the Fatal flaw is a person. Um, Vane says, uh, like I said, he has to protect his friends no matter what. Okay, so maybe person slash people. So maybe kind of a, a weakness is, um, uh, um uh, I guess in <laughs> uh, maybe a bit of like tribalism. I guess being prioritizing those that he knows over those that he doesn't know. Um, alternatively, maybe prioritizing the people that he loves over succeeding in the task, sort of making bad decisions as long as you sort of help those people that you know in the short term while kind of ignoring the long term. So maybe a bit of short-sightedness. shortsightedness. You know? and, and here are those two sort of variations. We could say that there's a bit of tribalism, which is like that would be him presenting, preventing himself from self-actualizing, from being the person who can objectively just want to save everyone. Or we could say it's sort of the more classical style, where it's the the fatal flaw isn't preventing him from, from self-actualizing, it's the thing between him and success in his mission, which would be a bit of that sort of short-sightedness aspect. Interesting. Miss Massica says, uh, and to protect anyone that isn't himself. Okay, now that's an interesting one as well. Kind of that idea of of uh, he'll, he'll rush headlong into things, he's got no real self-preservation, which is not going to help him do much in the long term, right? That's probably going to get him Uh, cut out of the action pretty quickly. Xander says, I think maybe it could be that he wants to help protect everyone. I could see him killed that way, but I'm not sure. Jem says, uh, let's see, hold on. Yeah, Dolly says, I'm really having to think about it. It's very tough. Jim says, honestly, I think his flaw is the exact opposite of AB, which is why they work so well together. He's got no confidence, and because of that, he doesn't think things through. He just reacts, hoping it will turn out well. He doesn't trust his own instincts. Mm, now, that's also an interesting one, right? Um, and I think we've seen, we've seen both of these different theories play out. I think a lot of this has, has sort of attached to the one theory of um, kind of his desire to save others, and then we've got this other theory about sort of his own, uh, his lack of self-assuredness. Rollet says, uh, Percy doesn't think things through like how he did not think uh, to take Annabeth's knife. I think his fatal flaw would be jumping into actions without thinking things through. So impulsiveness maybe would be the best way to say that. Going in a Harry Potter direction here. Fatal flaw being a hero complex, potentially. Orly Rose says, Chad is in some serious alignment on this question. Yeah, we've got a couple of variations on a similar idea. Um, Let's see. What else? What else? What else? Rollet says, I uh, agreed. I really don't want to say that because I don't think it's... Oh, because I think it's cliche, but I do think that's what it seems like. Memnite says, I don't think we've been introduced to his fatal flaw yet. We've seen some glimpses of his caring for others in book one, but uh, but he did not choose his mom. So he overcame that easily, in my opinion. Ooh, Memnite. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. There was that moment where he could have... Like, that... For for someone who's, like, super short-term focused, who must save people now, forget what happens later, that would have been the moment to do it, right? Although we could fairly say that it was sort of weighed against some other people who he would have had to choose explicitly not to save. And maybe we're getting down into some some very particular aspects here about maybe he, he can't choose not to save people. <laughs> or I should say, he can't cause other people any... Harm? I don't know, maybe kind of a Hippocratic Oath sort of thing? <laughs> we'll see. Plague Deity says... Uh, oh, hold on. Vantage Life says... Uh, maybe he said something uh, about... Said something you have to constantly monitor. He overcame it in the situation that he... That means he... But that doesn't mean it isn't the fatal flaw. Okay, sure. So so kind of having having it happen one time differently doesn't mean that's not the fatal flaw. Fair enough. I think that is definitely fair. Um, Oftentimes, these hero stories are them constantly overcoming, and then succumbing to, and then overcoming their fatal flaw again and again. Plague Deity says, I think his fatal flaw is the self-doubt. He always has to question whether or not he can do something uh, until he does it. He does not seem to really understand how powerful it really is. He just thinks it's luck. He certainly does seem to ascribe lots of things to luck, doesn't he? Just lucky that this happened. Lucky that this was in the right spot. memrite says, personally, I think it will end up being him wanting to believe in the goodness of people. Uh, him believing everyone can see the light and be good, which can really interfere with the whole taking down evil of his job as a half-blood. Um, Orly Rose says, uh, and he didn't do it for pride, credit, or glory, which makes him so much more dangerous when he acts on impulse to save people. He takes no account of danger to himself, which probably leads to the fatal part of the fatal flaw. He's others-minded, compassionate, loyal, driven by desire to help others simply because they need it. I like this. I like this discussion here. Y'all, thank you very, very much. I'm sorry if I didn't get to yours. Uh, but I think we're on a bit of a tight one tonight because we have got three chapters. Which means if y'all are just catching up with us right now, and by the way, Richard26, hello. Hello. Good to have you here. Uh, that is a new name that I have not seen here in chat before, so it is good to have you here, and I hope you will enjoy, uh, as will the rest of you, our next two chapters. I got a weird text message. Hold on. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> All right, y'all, let's do this thing, shall we? I got. Hold on, I got people... Oh boy. We got we got people arguing over in my YouTube comments. Good luck, y'all. Okay, here we go. Now we're officially getting started. Chapter 14. We meet the Sheep of Doom. When you think Monster Island, you think craggy rocks and bones scattered on the beach like the Island of Sirens. The Cyclops' Island was nothing like that. I mean, okay. It had a rope bridge across a chasm, which is not a good sign. You might as well put up a billboard that said, Something Evil Lives Here. But except for that, the place looked like a Caribbean postcard. It had green fields and tropical fruit trees and white beaches. As we sailed down toward the shore, Annabeth breathed in sweet air. The fleece, she said. I nodded. I couldn't see the fleece yet, but I could feel its power. I could believe it would heal anything, even Talia's poisoned tree. If we take this away, is this island going to die? Annabeth shook her head. It'll fade. It'll go back to what it would be normally, whatever that is. I felt a little guilty about ruining this paradise, but I reminded myself we had no choice. Camp Half-Blood was in trouble, and Tyson... Tyson would still be with us if it weren't for this quest. In the meadow at the base of the ravine, several dozen sheep were milling around. They looked peaceful enough, but they were huge, the size of hippos, just past them with a path that led up into the hills. At the top of the path, near the edge of the canyon, was the massive oak tree I'd seen in my dreams. Something gold glittered in its branches. This is too easy. I said. We could just hike up the hill and take it? Annabeth's eyes narrowed. There's supposed to be a guardian. A dragon, or... That's when a deer emerged from the bushes. It trotted into the meadow, probably looking for grass to eat, when all the sheep bleated at once and rushed the animal. It happened so fast that the deer stumbled and was lost in a sea of wool and trampling hooves grass and tufts of fur flew into the air a second later the sheep all moved away back to their regular peaceful wanderings the deer that had been there was a pile of clean white bones annabeth and i exchanged looks they're like piranhas she said piranhas with wool how are we gonna percy annabeth gasped grabbing my arm look She pointed down to the beach, just below the sheep meadow, where a small boat had been run aground. The other lifeboat from the CSS Birmingham. We decided there was no way we could get past the man-eating sheep. Annabeth wanted to sneak up the path invisibly and grab the fleece, but in the end I convinced her that something would go wrong. The sheep would smell her. Another guardian would appear. Something. And if that happened, I'd be too far away to help. Besides, our first job was to find Grover and whoever had come ashore in that lifeboat. Assuming they'd gotten past the sheep, I was too nervous to say that I was secretly hoping Tyson might still be alive. We moored the Queen Anne's Revenge on the backside of the island, where the cliffs rose straight up a good two hundred feet. I figured the ship was less likely to be seen there. The cliffs looked climbable, barely— about as difficult as the lava wall back at camp. At least it was free of sheep. I hoped that Polyphemus would not also keep carnivorous mountain goats. We rode a lifeboat to the edge of the rocks and made our way up. Very slowly. Annabeth went first because she was the better climber. We only came close to dying six or seven times, which I thought was pretty good. Once, I lost my grip and found myself dangling by one hand from a ledge 50 feet from the rocky surf. But I found another foothold and kept climbing. A minute later, Annabeth hit a slippery patch of moss and her foot slipped. Fortunately, she found something else to put it against. Unfortunately, that something was my face. Sorry, she murmured. It's okay. I grunted, though I'd never really want to know what Annabeth's sneaker tasted like. Finally, when my fingers felt like molten lead and my arm muscles were shaking from exhaustion, we hauled ourselves over the top and collapsed.
1: Uh, I said, ouch,
0: moaned Annabeth. Uh, bellowed another voice. If I hadn't been so tired, I would have leapt another 200 feet. I whirled around, but I couldn't see who had spoken. Annabeth clamped her hand over my mouth. She pointed. The ledge we were sitting on was narrower than I'd realized. It dropped off on the opposite side, and that's where the voice was coming from. Right below us.
1: you are a feisty one, the deep voice bellowed.
0: Challenge me, Clarice's voice, no doubt about it. Give me back my sword and I'll fight you. The monster roared with laughter. Annabeth and I crept to the edge. We were right above the entrance to the Cyclops cave. Below us stood Polyphemus and Grover, still in his wedding dress. Clarice was tied up, hanging upside down over a pot of boiling water. I was half hoping to see Tyson down there, too. Even if he'd been in danger, at least it would have meant he was still alive. But there was no sign of him. <clears throat> Polyphemus pondered.
1: Eat loudmouthed girl now, or wait for wedding feast. What does my bride think?
0: He turned to Grover, who backed up and almost tripped over his completed bridal train. Oh, um, I'm not really hungry right now, dear. Perhaps. Did you say bride? Clarice demanded. Who? Grover? Next to me, Annabeth muttered. Shut up. She has to shut up. Polyphemus glowered. What? What? Grover? The cider! Clarice yelled. Oh! Grover yelped. The poor thing's brain is boiling from that hot water. Pull her down, dear. Polyphemus' eyelids narrowed over his balefully milky eyes as if he were trying to see Clarice more clearly. The Cyclops was an even more horrible sight than he had been in my dreams. Partly because his rancid smell was now up close and personal. Partly because he was dressed in his white wedding outfit. A crude kilt and shoulder wrap stitched together from baby blue tuxedos as if he'd skinned an entire wedding party.
1: Hmm... "'What satyr?' asked Polyphemus. "'Satyrs are good eating. You bring me a satyr?' "'No,
0: you big idiot!'
1: bellowed Clarice.
0: "'That satyr! Grover, the one in the wedding dress!' I wanted to wring Clarice's neck, but it was too late. All I could do was watch as Polyphemus turned and ripped off Grover's wedding veil— Revealing his curly hair, his scruffy adolescent beard, his tiny horns, Polyphemus breathed heavily, trying to contain his anger.
1: I don't see very well," he growled, not since many years ago, hmm, when the other hero stabbed me in the eye, hmm. but you're "'No, lady Cyclops!'
0: The Cyclops grabbed Grover's dress and tore it away. Underneath, the old Grover reappeared in his jeans and T-shirt. He yelped and ducked as the monster swiped over his head. "'Stop!' Stop Grover pleaded. "'Don't eat me raw! I, I, I have a good recipe!' I reached for my sword, but Annabeth hissed. "'Wait!' Polyphemus was hesitating." a boulder in his hand, ready to smash his would-be bride. Mmm.
1: Recipe, he asked Grover.
0: Oh, yes. You don't want to eat me raw. You'll get E. coli and botulism and all sorts of horrible things. I taste much better grilled over a slow fire with mango chutney. You could get some mangoes right now, down there in the woods. I'll, I'll wait here. The monster pondered this. My heart hammered against my ribs. I figured I'd die if I charge, but I couldn't let the monster kill Grover.
1: Grilled satyr with mm, mango chutney, Polyphemus mused.
0: He looked back at Clarisse, still hanging over the pot of
1: boiling water. You... Hmm... You a satyr, too? No, you overgrown pile of dung, she yelled.
0: I'm a girl, the daughter of Ares. Now untie me so I can rip your arms off.
1: Hmm... Rip my arms off, hmm...
0: Polyphemus repeated. And stuff them down your throat. You
1: got spunk. Hmm.
0: Let me down. Polyphemus snatched up Grover as if he were a wayward puppy.
1: Have to graze sheep now. Hmm. Wedding postponed until tonight. Hmm. Then we'll eat. Sater for the main course.
0: But you're still getting married? Grover sounded hurt. Who's the bride? Polyphemus looked toward the boiling pot. Clarice made a strangling sound. You can't, no, you can't be serious, I'm not. Before Annabeth or I could do anything, Polyphemus picked her up off of the rope like she was a ripe apple
1: and tossed her and Grover deep into the cave. Mm, make yourself comfortable. I come back at sundown for, Hm mm, big event. Then the cyclops whistled, and mixed
0: flocks of goats and sheep, smaller than the man-eaters, flooded out of the cave and passed their master. As they went to pasture, Polyphemus patted some on the back and called them by name. Beltbuster, Buster, Tammany. Lockhart, etc. When the last sheep had waddled out, Polyphemus rolled a boulder in front of the doorway as easily as I would close a refrigerator door, shutting off the sound of Clarice and Grover screaming inside. Mmm,
1: mangoes. Polyphemus grumbled to himself. What are mmm,
0: mangoes? He strolled off down the mountain in his baby blue groom's outfit, leaving us alone with a pot of boiling water and a six-ton boulder. We tried for what seemed like hours, but it was no good. The boulder wouldn't move. We yelled into the cracks, tapped on the rock, did everything we could think of to get a signal to Grover, but if he heard us, we couldn't tell. Even if by some miracle we managed to kill Polyphemus, it wouldn't do us any good. Grover and Clarice would die inside that sealed cave. The only way to move the rock now was to have the Cyclops do it. In total frustration, I stabbed Riptide against the boulder. Sparks flew, but nothing else happened. A large rock is not the kind of enemy you can fight with a magic sword. Annabeth and I sat on the ridge in despair and watched the distant baby blue shape of the Cyclops as he moved among his flocks. He had wisely divided his irregular animals from his man-eating sheep— putting each group on either side of the huge crevice that divided the island. The only way across was the rope bridge, and the planks were much too far apart for sheep hooves. We watched as Polyphemus visited his carnivorous flock on the far side. Unfortunately, they didn't eat him. In fact, they didn't seem to bother him at all. He fed them chunks of mystery meat from a great wicker basket, which only reinforced the feeling I'd been having since Circe turned me into a guinea pig. Maybe it was time I joined Grover and became a vegetarian. Trickery, Annabeth decided. We can't beat him by force, so we'll have to use trickery. (laughs) Okay, I said. What trick? I haven't figured that part out yet. Cool, great. Polyphemus will have to move the rock to let the sheep inside. At sunset, I said, which is when he's going to marry Clarice and have Grover for dinner. I'm not sure which one is more gross. I could get inside, she said, invisibly. And what about me, the sheep? Annabeth mused. She gave me one of those sly looks that always made me wary. How much do you like sheep? "'Just don't let go,' Annabeth said, standing invisibly somewhere off to my right. It was easy for her to say she wasn't hanging upside down from the belly of a sheep. Now, I'll admit, it wasn't as hard as I'd thought. I'd crawled under a car before to change my mom's oil, and this wasn't too different. The sheep didn't care. Even the Cyclops' smallest sheep were big enough to support my weight, and they had thick wool. I just twirled the stuff into handles for my hands— Hooked my feet against the sheep's thigh bones, and presto. Felt like a baby wallaby, riding around against the sheep's chest, trying to keep the wool out of my nose and mouth. Uh, In case you were wondering, the underside of a sheep doesn't smell great. Imagine a winter sweater that's been dragged through the mud and left in the laundry hamper for a week. Something like that. The sun was going down. No sooner I was in
1: position when the cyclops roared, "Oi!" Goaties, Sheepies!
0: The flock dutifully began trudging back up the slopes toward the cave. This is it, Annabeth whispered. I'll be close by, don't worry. I made a silent promise to the gods that if we survived this, I would tell Annabeth she was a genius. The frightening thing was I knew the gods would hold me to it my sheep taxi started plodding up the hill. After a few hundred yards, my feet and hands started to hurt from holding on. I gripped the sheep's wool more tightly, and the animal made a grumbling sound. I didn't blame it. I wouldn't want anybody rock climbing in my hair either, but if I didn't hold on, I was sure I would fall off right then and there in front of the monster. Fuffa, the cyclops said, patting one of the sheep in front of me.
1: "'Einstein! Widget! Hmm, hey there, Widget!' Polyphemus patted
0: my sheep and nearly knocked me to the ground.
1: "'Pulling on some extra mutton there,
0: hmm?' Uh Uh-oh, I thought. Here it comes. But Polyphemus just laughed and swatted the sheep's rear
1: end, propelling us forward. "'Go on, fatty!' Soon, Polyphemus will eat you, mm, for breakfast. And just like that, I was in the cave.
0: I could see the last of the sheep coming inside. If Annabeth didn't pull off her distraction soon... The cyclops was about to roll the stone back into place when somewhere inside, Annabeth shouted, Hello, ugly! Polyphemus stiffened, Mmm... Hmm. Hmm, who said that? Nobody, Annabeth yelled. That got exactly the reaction she'd been hoping for. The monster's face turned red with rage.
1: nobody, (sighs) Polyphemus yelled back. I remember you.
0: You're too stupid to remember anybody, Annabeth taunted, much less nobody. I hoped to the gods she was already moving when she said that, because Polyphemus bellowed furiously, grabbed the nearest boulder, which happened to be his front door, and threw it toward the sound of Annabeth's voice. I heard the rock smash into a thousand fragments. For a terrible moment, there was silence. Then Annabeth shouted, You haven't learned to throw any better, either. Polyphemus howled. Come here.
1: Let me kill you, nobody. Hmm.
0: You can't kill nobody, you stupid oaf, she taunted. Come find me. Polyphemus barreled down the hill toward her voice. Now, the nobody thing wouldn't have made sense to anybody, but Annabeth had explained it to me. The name was the same one Odysseus had used to trick Polyphemus centuries ago, right before he poked the Cyclops' eye out with a large stick. Annabeth had figured Polyphemus would still have a grudge about the name, and she was right. In his frenzy to find his old enemy, he forgot about resealing the cave entrance. Apparently, he didn't even stop to consider that Annabeth's voice was female, whereas the first nobody had been male. On the other hand, he wanted to marry Grover, so he couldn't have been all that bright about the whole male-female thing. I just hoped Annabeth could stay alive and keep distracting him long enough for me to find Grover and Clarice. I dropped off my ride, patted Widget on the head, and apologized. I searched the main room, but there was no sign of Grover or Clarice. I pushed through the crowd of sheep and goats toward the back of the cave. Even though I had dreamed about this place, I had a hard time finding my way through the maze. I ran down corridors littered with bones, past rooms full of sheepskin rugs and life-size cement sheep that I recognized as the work of Medusa. There were collections of sheep t-shirts, large tubs of lanolin cream and woolly coats, socks and hats with ram's horns. Finally, I found the spinning room, where Grover was huddled in the corner trying to cut Clarice's bonds with a pair of safety scissors. It's no good, Clarice said. This rope is like iron. Just a few more minutes. Grover! She cried, exasperated. he have been working at it for hours. And then they saw me. Percy? Clarice said. You're supposed to be blown up! It's good to see you too. Now hold still while I...
1: Percy!
0: Grover bleated and tackled me with a goat hug. You had me! You came! "'Yeah, buddy,' I said. "'Of course I came.' "'Where's Annabeth?' "'Outside,' I said. "'But there's no time to talk. Clarice, just hold still, okay?' I uncapped Riptide and sliced... Ooh, ooh, that one's getting to me. That one's getting to me a little bit. Let's try that one more time. I uncapped Riptide and sliced off her ropes. She stood stiffly, rubbing her wrists.' She glared at me for a moment and then looked at the ground and mumbled. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome, I said. Now, was there anybody else aboard your lifeboat? Clarice looked surprised. No, just me. Uh, Everybody else was aboard the Burningham. Well, I, I didn't even know that you guys made it out. I looked down, trying not to believe that my last hope of seeing Tyson alive had just been crushed. Okay. Well, come on then. We have to help. An explosion echoed through the cave, followed by a scream that told me we might be too late. It was Annabeth crying out in fear. That is the end of our chapter, and I want to give some props to Rose. <laughs> Rose, with uh, the the nice connection to some other stuff that we've been reading, the Bilbo vibes. Um, Rose says Bilbo vibes, and that is like that is a hundred percent correct. Can we talk about that for a second, Bilbo? Bilbo does the same thing. This is like, this is the Bilbo gambit right here. It is go traipse around for a little while and insult the person that you're (laughs) invisibly traips around invisibly and insult the person that you're trying to trick. And hopefully we'll get them to sort of freak out enough that they will do something that works in your favor. They'll make some mistake. And here we have it. So, uh, Orly Rose, thank you very much. Kudos to you. An Excellent one. That is the end of our second and final chapter for the evening. Just kidding. We're reading a third chapter for the evening as well. So bear with me for that. Um, I'm trying to decide, am I going to take another break? Maybe I should. And eh, I did my long chapter first and that was my, and the, the, the next chapter is fairly short. So you know what? I don't think I'm going to, I think here's what I'm going to do. All right. I am going to. Hmm. Let's do a Chatterbreak question, but I'm probably going to just take a few answers from it, and then I'll let you all dis- discuss that amongst yourselves while we roll into our next chapter. Swansong says, "Okay, I'm okay with getting tricked. Uh, Rose says, Invisible smart alec antics. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> no break, I gotta sleep. See, if there's a comment in there, that changes the meaning entirely, so I I, I don't know which one you're aiming for, Gems. <laughs> Broloff says, Sorry guys, I have to go, I'll see you later. Broloff, have a great one. I'll see you later indeed. Uh hopefully soon, we shall see. Um, let's see. Sandra says, why would Grover save her? She wanted the Cyclops to eat him. Did she? I think I think she was just really, really bad at playing along. I don't know if she wanted because I think, you know, she was part of the reason why why. Grover's part of the reason why she's here in the first place, right? Part of that vision that originally came to Percy. I think I think she was just being a little dense, a little slow to the uptake and you know what it's a it is a we, we talk about this a lot with D&D, okay? There's this comes up more than you think. There's always that discussion of like, okay, well can like can we say we would have like worked out some hand signals for this exact scenario or can we say perhaps that um, like, I, oh, yeah, me and this, this other party member, like, we've done this thing, uh, we, we've tried a couple of grifts before, so couldn't we say that even though they're just coming into this situation, they sort of just, like, get it immediately? I, I often think, although it's good for watching, um, so I tend to allow it, I think in reality, Clarice is under a lot of stress here, literally uh, she is unarmed, which is the thing that sort of like if we can consider Clarice to have a security blanket in any way, se- security blanket. I don't know why I said it all weird. If we can assume that Clarice has something she would consider a security blanket, it would probably be a spear, right? Um, she likes to feel like she's she can, if something's going to fight her, she can fight back. At the same time, she has as she has been disarmed, she's also hanging above a pot of boiling water about to be cooked. I think all this together says it would be tough for most people to, like, grok the situation. You know what I mean? You're not going to walk into that and be like, oh, okay, gotcha. So, Seder in a wedding dress, cool. Um, like, imagine, imagine your, uh, boy, imagine whoever you hate the most at school. Now imagine that person's best friend, and now you have showed up to, like, some random farm out in the middle of nowhere, and that friend, it, you've been, like, you've been conked over the head and you're like tied up in their basement and you see that person that you hate, you see their best friend in a wedding dress in that basement. You're not going to be like, oh, gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So there's like a, there's a whole thing going on. I got you. I got you. We're we're on the same wavelength. So although I'm not going to defend Clarice's sort of, uh, (laughs) short temper. I'm not going to defend Clarice's bad attitude. I will defend that Clarice didn't immediately, like, pick up on this situation, because it is wild, baby. Not much to pick up on here. Not many clues that uh, Grover has a chance to lay down first. (laughs) Jem says, Clarice is as thick as the rock she's fighting. Oh, boy. Broloff... If there's one thing you can... This is one thing I can guarantee you will get on this channel. I can guarantee it. It is strange analogies. <laughs> and I like them detailed. So uh, good luck escaping them. Yes, indeed. You, you're, 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 <laughs> you're hanging above a fireplace at an old farm somewhere. And you see your your worst enemy's best friend in a wedding dress just hanging out in the corner. Good luck to you. So, um, our chatter break question is, honestly, our chatter break question is, do any of y'all know how this story ends uh, for Odysseus? There we go. That's my chatter break question. Does anyone know how this ends for Odysseus? And if you do remember, uh, go ahead and put it in chat. We're going to get into some spoiler territory for ancient, for literally some of the, <laughs> some of the, the oldest spoilers that there are it's one of those things you know how on like you know how people say like uh, okay it's been like two weeks or it's been two months or whatever everyone's got their line if if you haven't seen it by this point we can't even consider it spoilers anymore i'm just gonna say when it comes to the odyssey you've had time (laughs) (laughs) so go ahead and talk about that really quick denisha says i'm guessing he wins eh? Richard says he pisses off Poseidon. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Richard says he gets blown off course. Okay. So it sounds like we got somebody on the right track here. Van says 800 years too soon. Uh, Memnite says Sam thinks he's got jokes. Uh, Sam is correct. He does got jokes. Vane says lol. Yes, I do know it. Uh, (laughs) Richard says he gets in a lot of adventure. (laughs) Excuse me and gets in a lot of adventure. Well, you weren't wrong about that. Yes, there's quite a bit. There is quite a bit more to that story. Vane says, and I think this is the last one I'll go with, they got the Cyclops drunk and put its eye out. Indeed. Y'all might have noticed that this Cyclops has just the one eye. That's normal for Cyclopses. But then there's the second thing, which is that this eye is like kind of milky white and mostly blind, it looks like. That is new if we are to consider 800 years new. That one's from odysseus so still got some marks on it y'all let's get into our next and this one this time for real this time for actual this is our last chapter for the evening so i appreciate you all very much for being here my name is sam this is sidecar stories this is thursday which means this particular show is called flying sidecar is a voice actors venture through some stories that we all love and if you want to find out more you can head to the links that have just popped up, or they are currently in the description box below if you're watching this on YouTube. Everybody, thank you very much. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for dipping your toes in some of the other shows. Tuesdays, The Hobbit, Wednesdays, Tabletop RPGs, all underneath a new name called Side Sidecadons. Wait, hold on. Does this
1: work? Side Sidecadons!
0: Eh, it's very distinctly thunder. I need something that sounds like cannons. That is the umbrella name for all of our RPG stuff from now on, which includes side cannons minis. So thank you all for hanging out over there and uh, continuing to push that story along. Comment if you want to decide where that story goes next. Uh, Jem says, Sam, you think you are so funny. Once again, Sam is correct. Chapter 15, Nobody Gets the Fleece.
1: I got... Nobody.
0: Polyphemus mm. gloated. We crept to the cave entrance and saw the cyclops grinning wickedly, holding up empty air. The monster shook his fist and a baseball cap fluttered to the ground. There was Annabeth hanging upside down by her legs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the cyclops said, "'Nasty, invisible girl. hmm. already got feisty one for wife. "'Means you gotta be grilled with... hmm mango chutney.'"
0: Annabeth struggled, but she looked dazed. She had a nasty cut on her forehead. Her eyes were glassy. "'Okay, I'll rush him,' I whispered to Clarice. Our ship is around the back of the island. You and Grover. No way, they said at the same time. Clarice had armed herself with a highly collectible ram's horn spear from the Cyclops' cave. Grover had found a sheep's thigh bone, which he didn't look too happy about, but he was gripping it like a club, ready to attack. We'll take him together, Clarice growled. Yeah, Grover said. Then he blinked, like he couldn't believe he had just agreed with Clarice about something. All right, I said. Attack plan, Macedonia. They nodded. We'd all taken the same training courses at Camp Half-Blood. They knew what I was talking about. They would sneak around either side and attack the Cyclops from the flanks while I was holding his attention from the front. Probably what this meant was that we would all die instead of just me, but I was grateful for the help. I hefted my sword and shouted,
1: Hey! Ugly!
0: The giant whirled around toward me. Hmm.
1: Another one? Who are you? Put down, my friend.
0: I'm the one who insulted you.
1: You. Hmm. You are nobody.
0: That's right, you smelly bucket of nose drool. It didn't sound quite as good as Annabeth's insults, but it was all I could think of. I'm nobody and I'm proud of it. Now, put it down and get over here. I want to stab your eye out again. he bellowed. The good news, he dropped Annabeth. The bad news, he dropped her head first onto the rocks where she lay motionless as a rag doll. The other bad news, Polyphemus barreled toward me a thousand smelly pounds of Cyclops that I would have to fight with a very small sword. For Pan! Grover rushed in from the right. He threw his sheep bone with bounced harmlessly off the monster's forehead. Clarice ran in from the left and set her spear against the ground just in time for the Cyclops to step on it. He wailed in pain and Clarice dove out of the way to avoid getting trampled but the cyclops just plucked out the shaft like a large splinter and kept advancing on me. I moved in with Riptide. The monster made a grab for me. I rolled aside and stabbed him in the thigh. I was hoping to see him disintegrate, but this monster was much too big and powerful. Get Annabeth! I yelled at Grover. He rushed over, grabbed her invisibility cap, and picked her up while Clarice and I tried to keep Polyphemus distracted. I have to admit... Clarice was brave. She charged the Cyclops again and again. He pounded the ground, stomped at her, grabbed at her, but she was too quick. And as soon as she made an attack, I followed it up by stabbing the monster in the toe or the ankle or the hand. But we couldn't go on forever. Eventually, we would tire out or the monster would get in a lucky shot. It would only take one hit to kill us. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Grover carrying Annabeth across the rope bridge, It wouldn't have been my first choice, given the man-eating sheep on the other side, but at that moment, it looked better than this side of the chasm, so it gave me an idea. "'Fall back,' I told Clarice. She rolled away as the cyclops' fist smashed the olive tree beside her. We ran for the bridge, Polyphemus right behind us. He was cut up and hobbling from so many wounds, but all we'd done so far was slow him down and make him mad.'
1: Grind you into sheep chow, he promised. A thousand curses on nobody!
0: Faster, I told Clarice. We tore down the hill. The bridge was our only chance. Grover had just made it to the other side and was settling Annabeth down. I had to make it across, too, before the giant caught us. Grover! I yelled, get Annabeth's knife! His eyes widened when he saw the Cyclops behind us, but he nodded like he understood. As Clarice and I scrambled across the bridge, Grover began sawing at the ropes. The first strand went snap. Polyphemus bounded after us, making the bridge sway wildly. The ropes were now half cut. Clarice and I dove for solid ground, landing beside Grover. I made a wild slash with my sword and cut the remaining ropes. The bridge fell away into the chasm, and the Cyclops howled. With delight, because he was standing right next to us. Failed! he yelled gleefully. Nobody failed! Clarice and Grover tried to charge him, but the monster swatted them aside like flies. My anger swelled. I couldn't believe I had come this far, lost Tyson, suffered through so much, only to fail. Stopped by a big stupid monster in a baby blue tuxedo kilt, nobody was going to swap my friends down like that, and I mean nobody, not not nobody, you know what I mean. Strength coursed through my body. I raised my sword and attacked, forgetting that I was hopelessly outmatched. I jabbed the cyclops in the belly. When he doubled over, I smacked him in the nose with the hilt of my sword. I slashed and kicked and bashed until the next thing I knew, Polyphemus was sprawled on his back, dashed, dazed and groaning. And I was standing above him with the tip of my sword hovering over his eye.
1: Oh.
0: Polyphemus moaned. Percy. Grover gasped. How did you... Please, mm. no! The cyclops moaned, pitifully staring up at me. His nose was bleeding; a tear welled in the corner of his half-blind eye.
1: Mm. 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 My sheepies need me. Mm. Only trying to protect my sheep. He began to sob.
0: I had won. All I had to do was stab. One quick strike. Kill him! Clarice yelled. What are you waiting for? The Cyclops sounded so heartbroken. Just like like Tyson." "'He's a Cyclops,' Grover warned. "'Don't trust him!' I, I knew he was right. I knew Annabeth would have said the same thing. But Polyphemus sobbed. And for the first time, it sank in that he was a son of Poseidon, too. Like Tyson. Like me. How could I just kill him in cold blood?' We only want the fleece, I told the monster. Will you agree to let us take it? No, Clarice shouted. Kill him! The monster
1: snuffled. My beautiful fleece. Mm. Prize of my collection. Mm. Take it, cruel human. Take it and go in peace.
0: I'm going to step back slowly, I told the monster. One
1: false move,
0: Polyphemus nodded like he understood. I stepped back, and as fast as a cobra, Polyphemus smacked me to the edge of the cliff.
1: (laughs) Foolish mortal,
0: he bellowed, rising to his feet.
1: Take my fleece. Hmm. I eat you first.
0: He opened his enormous mouth, and I knew that his rotten molars were the last thing I would ever see. Then something went. <sniffs> and thump. A rock the size of a basketball sailed into Polyphemus' throat. A beautiful three pointer, nothing but net. The cyclops choked, trying to swallow the unexpected pill. He staggered backward, but there was no place left to stagger. His heel slipped, the edge of the cliff crumbled, and the great polyphemus made chicken wing motions that did nothing to help him fly as he tumbled into the chasm. I turned, halfway down to the beach, standing completely unharmed in the midst of a flock of killer sheep was an old friend. Hmm, hmm, bad Polyphemus, Tyson said,
1: hmm, not all Cyclopes as nice as we look. Mm.
0: Tyson gave us the short version. Rainbow, the hippocampus, who had apparently been following us ever since Long Island Sound, waiting for Tyson to play with him, had found Tyson, sinking beneath the wreckage of the CSS Birmingham and pulled him to safety. He and Tyson had been searching the Sea of Monsters ever since, trying to find us until Tyson caught the scent of sheep and found this island. I wanted to hug the big oaf, except he was standing in the middle of killer sheep. Oh, Tyson, thank the gods. Annabeth is hurt.
1: You, hmm, hmm, hmm. You, thank the gods,
0: she is hurt, he asked, puzzled. No! I knelt behind Annabeth and was worried sick by what I saw. The gash on her forehead was worse than I'd realized. Her hairline was sticky with blood. Her skin was pale and clammy. Grover and I exchanged nervous looks. Then an idea came to me. Tyson, the fleece, can you get it for me? Hmm, hmm, Uh, hmm, which one, hmm, Tyson said, looking around at the hundreds of sheep. In the tree, I said, the gold one. Mm, Oh. Pretty. Hmm. Yes.' "'Tyson lumbered over, careful not to step on the sheep. "'If any of us had tried to approach the fleece, we would have been eaten alive, "'but I guess Tyson smelled like Polyphemus, because the flock didn't bother him at all. "'They just cuddled up to him and bleated affectionately, "'as though they expected to get sheep treats from the big wicker basket. "'Tyson reached up and lifted the fleece off its branch. "'Immediately the leaves on the oak tree turned yellow.' Tyson started wading back toward me, but I yelled, No time! Throw it! The gold ram skin sailed through the air like a glittering shag frisbee. I caught it with a grunt. It was heavier than I'd expected. Sixty or seventy pounds of precious gold wool. I spread it over Annabeth, covering everything but her face, and prayed silently to all the gods I could think of, even the ones I didn't like. Please. The color returned to her face. Her eyelids fluttered open. The cut on her forehead began to close. She saw Grover and said weakly, You're not married? Grover grinned. Uh, No, my friends talked me out of it. Annabeth, I said, just lay still. But despite our protests, she sat up, and I noticed that the cut on her forehead was almost completely healed. She looked a lot better. In fact, she was shimmering with health, as if someone had injected her with glitter. Meanwhile, Tyson was starting to have trouble with the sheep. Mmm, down, he told them as they started to climb up, looking for food. A few were sniffing in our direction.
1: Mmm, no. No, sheepies. This way. "'Come here! Hm. Mm.
0: They needed him, but it was obvious they were hungry, and they were starting to realize Tyson didn't have any treats for them. They wouldn't hold out forever with so much fresh meat nearby. "'We have to go,' I said. "'Our ship is—' The Queen Anne's Revenge was a very long way away. The shortest route was across the chasm, and we had just destroyed the only bridge. The only other possibility was through the sheep. "'Hey, Tyson!' I called. Can you lead the flock as far away as possible?
1: Hmm. The sheep want food. Hmm.
0: I know. They want people food. Just lead them away from the path. Give us enough time to get to the beach. Then come and join us there. Tyson looked doubtful, but he whistled.
1: Come, sheepies. Hmm um people
0: food this way he jogged off into the meadow the sheep in pursuit keep the fleece around you i told annabeth just in case you're not fully healed yet can you stand up she tried but her face turned pale again oh not oh not fully healed Clarice dropped next to her and felt her chest, which made Annabeth gasp. Ribs broken, Clarice said. They're in, but definitely broken. How can you tell, I asked. Clarice glared at me. Because I've broken a few, runt. I have to carry her. Before I could argue, Clarice picked up Annabeth like a sack of flour and lugged her down to the beach. Grover and I followed. As soon as we got to the edge of the water, I concentrated on the Queen Anne's revenge. I willed it to raise anchor and to come to me. After a few anxious minutes, I saw the ship rounding the tip of the island. Mm, incoming, Tyson yelled. He was bounding down the path to join us, the sheep about 50 yards behind, bleating in frustration as their cyclops friend ran away without feeding them. They probably won't follow us into the water, I told the others. All we got to do is swim for the ship. With Annabeth like this, Clarice protested. We can do it, I insisted. I was starting to feel confident again. I was back in my home turf, the sea. Once we get to the ship, we're home free. We almost made it, too. We were just wading past the entrance to the ravine when we heard a tremendous roar and saw... Polyphemus, scraped up and bruised but still very much alive, his baby blue wedding outfit in tatters splashing towards us with a boulder in each hand. That's it, y'all. Thank you very much for joining us for the final chapter of the evening, that time for real. Uh Gwendog says we'll have to ask sidecar stories. What do we have to ask sidecar stories? Um I don't see who you're responding to, so I don't know what's going on. Alright, what is it? What up? Yeah, we got the <laughs> we got the we got the cliffhangers again. Uh Memnet says, I thought we were finishing the book. Memnit, you are incorrect. Uh yes, indeed, Dahlia. Yep. Yet another one. We thought we were done with this guy, didn't we? Y'all, thank you very much for being here. Just for anyone who's heading out now, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Later on, unless Half-Bit is indeed streaming tonight, we are going to be raiding over toward Critical Role. So, y'all, hang out with us until then. Uh, I am going to be doing some bad beans. That's our, our post-stream tradition here. Um, and then just hanging out and talking with y'all. Richard says, I didn't know Cyclopes were into rock music. It seems that they are. I, I, um, uh, what is it called? Farm, I think it's called farm aid. Uh, I feel like polyphemus was at farm aid. Uh, we don't get any evidence to that note, but, um, the, um, uh, Oh, I got you going dog. Yep. I'll okay, get Okay. I'll answer that in just a second. Um, the, uh, the, all the memorabilia that polyphemus has, I just am imagining uh, like a farm aid t-shirt. So I feel like he might've seen like, <laughs> he might've seen some pretty great live acts at some point back in the day, maybe as a roadie or something even i could see that working out uh Rolet says we have two more weeks of this book i think and yeah i want to say you're about correct so that was chapter 15 we got 16 17 uh 18 19 and 20 so five chapters it's going to dep- depend on the word count um and since we're sort of at the at the climax of this book that can vary pretty wildly um so gwendog says are the mm, and such written into this book they are not um uh, occasionally if there's something like uh, someone one of uh, so I've been using it f- to sort of like connect the the Cyclopes together uh, I wanted something because they do sound very different But I wanted them to have some similar characteristics so you can tell they're both Cyclopes um, I would say this one. I'm okay with this one. I think I did all right the one I'm really proud of is giving each of the Weasley's distinct voices excepting of course Fred and George even though if y'all were listening really really closely I did George's voice slightly lower than Fred's. Anyway, um, the, uh, I, I wanted something to make them sound similar. And with the Weasleys, I was really proud of that. I was able to give them all that, that sort of uh, fairly unique northern uh, English accent, uh, kind of that Sheffield-ish uh, sort of thing, while also having them all have distinct voices. I hope, of course, that is up to your interpretation. But um, the, uh, <laughs> the... I wanted something to connect the two of them, and so I had started doing it kind of as a, as a quality for Tyson, because Tyson reads, Tyson is, it's called coding, and it's, it, Tyson is coded pretty specifically in a, in a pretty particular direction, and I, I didn't want to do that, um, and as such, I wanted something different to, to kind of just help to process that Tyson's only like seven or eight years old, he looks much older, but the actual age that he's, he is is seven or eight, and so he's not quite following certain things quite as well, um, and I didn't want to just sort of like latch onto that coding and do a really sort of uh, really demeaning um, uh, uh, impression, and as such, I went in a different direction, and I wanted something that sort of, it wasn't demeaning, but it also sort of like played into the fact that that Tyson is is not quite as adept as some of these other people who are, in reality, much older than he is. He's a, he's a really young little guy. <laughs> well, it says the ums are not written in the book. There are some ums and maybe an um mm here and there, but generally not. I do like it though. It, it fits to me. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that was um uh when when there are ums or something, I will try to attach an uh, one of those um mm onto that as well. Um just to try and like latch onto something real. Oh boy, plague deity. <laughs> plague deity. Thank you very much. Uh, let me go ahead and throw us onto this screen here, even though we are not, I mean, I'll, I'm gonna put this here so that y'all can actually watch these if you wish, but I wanna be clear, we're not done talking yet for tonight. I know, I know how it is. I know y'all y'all wanna get straight to some some singing. I, I saw you discussing it earlier. Dahlia, thanks for giving kind of the rundown of the whole thing, but y'all, y'all know me. Y'all know what I am, and that's a big literature nerd. So let me get some AC on so I can be a comfortable literature nerd hold on hold on there we go so we have dealt with we, we've we really gotten to the heart of some of the the biggest connections between this and I'm, I'll call it like proper um, sort of hero's journey type literature but that's not really to say that a lot of this has been improper hero's journey type literature uh, I think much of the much of the hero's journey stuff that we've seen in here so far has fit but I think in this book we're really seeing it very clearly. There is the journey, there is the present and the the attempts to overcome the fatal flaw. There are um, the other people along the way who oftentimes that fatal flaw tends to cause them some trouble as well. Um, and honestly, at the end of this, there's like a pretty there's a pretty undesirable wedding, uh, which if we're talking about that classic uh, hero's journey literature. <laughs> Well, you can trace that one all the way back. Um, uh, an, un- an undesirable marriage at the end here. We're getting way back to the classics. K W W L only the classics all weekend long. Welcome to Farm Aid. Um, <laughs> y'all, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, what else do y'all see? What other Hero's Journey stuff have y'all enjoyed before? Uh, I want to know in other in other bits of literature and other movies and other TV shows and other books that y'all have read. Uh, what other hero stories do y'all enjoy? And let's talk about some of those qualities of a of a hero's journey. Um, uh, honestly, I, I just want to I, I want to drill in on the the hero's journey, especially as it relates to um, uh, sort of their flaws. They have got this one big thing that they're trying to overcome. They've got a destiny, um, and their journey is one of fighting against that um sometimes fighting against their destiny sometimes fighting toward it but always in some way they end up at that destiny uh and then also sort of fighting against their fatal flaw to try and succeed in whatever this goal is so can y'all think of other ones things uh and and uh definitely not memnite says hercules memnite i think it's a good one hercules is a solid one um uh, but there are other ones in more modern day uh, literature as well, I think we can see from Harry, Harry Potter, pretty easily kind of a, a, a hero's, there there are some aspects I should say, of the hero, we know that in general, Harry Potter is a pretty decent guy, but he is very impulsive, uh, we we know that that is a, I mean, if he's got a fatal flaw, I think that one would be it, Gems has an excellent one, Edmund from Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, yes, Edmund, um, which I think we can fairly say that Edmund's um, Edmund's fatal flaw would probably be that self-doubt, honestly. And that self-doubt gets him into trouble, um, and in, in big ways. We'll see how that works out, but yeah, that is very much a great story of someone trying to overcome uh, their one major weakness. Uh, and Memnite, I'm not so familiar with Bella Swan or any of the rest of the series. Uh, so unfortunately, I couldn't tell you. Hearthook says Hunger Games. That one's interesting. It's been a little while since I've read Hunger Games. Does does uh, Katniss have one major fatal flaw? I think it is a great story about someone who does behave heroically. But when we talk about this fatal flaw, it's often about someone who someone who really just has this one thing. And I think sometimes that that sort of arc has been poo pooed as like okay, well. No, no, no! Real life person has just one flaw. So, is it worth telling stories about people with just this one big flaw? And my, I think my response to that would be: it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like um, deconstructed paintings, or uh, really, really simple, you know, things created with just straight lines or things uh, created in all one color. It's, it's a little bit like the, the sketch art. As a matter of fact, let me bring us over to the, where's it at? It's the harpy. Uh, that's not it. One more. There we go. Let me bring you to this right here. What is this? What is this piece of art that we've got right here? A it's gorgeous. As a matter of fact, I found other images that looked a little bit closer to the source material, but I did not like them as much. Um, and so I want to bring your attention to this, but what is this? There are a few colors. I'm seeing just black, red, and green, not even like shades thereof. There's some orange in there. If I'm going to be fair, there's so little variation in in color. there's no background. and yet the experience of looking at this thing is fantastic. This is a gorgeous piece of art. And I would say that a hero's journey story, um, especially relating to the fatal flaw, especially the fatal flaw story, it's a little bit like a sketch or something simple like this, wherein, the point of it isn't to depict something in its fullness. It's to really focus in on something. In this picture's case, it's the eyes, it's the face, it's the mouth, the nose. And to experience that really fully. And for for us here, reading this story, I think the the story of the fatal flaw, a protagonist dealing with one big flaw, I think it's a little bit like that. I think we focus on this one thing. We focus on the struggle of trying to overcome something that we know is a flaw in ourselves. Sometimes in rewinding further, it's the process of learning what that flaw is. And so if we're coming to a piece of art that is a fatal flaw kind of story, I think we're here to, to see the the struggle. We're here to see how challenging it is to, to get away from something like that, how challenging it is to understand it in the first place, and how so many times it never really goes away. It's just something that you have to overcome as much as you can. There we go, folks. Y'all, enjoy Critical Role. Um, They are doing essentially what I would like to be able to do with this and more. So check them out. I'll see y'all next week. Adios, everybody. Bye-bye.